Praise God. Um, can you stay close? Great. I'm going to pray, and then we'll open up the word, and we will trust Jesus to feed us from his own hand. Okay? Father, though these are only syllables, I pray that they will carry the weight of the secret kisses we have shared. All of these words belong to you, and because you live, so they do. Feed us, great shepherd, with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Does anybody love the scriptures? Do you love to uh, experience God through the text? Yes, good. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about life. I want you to say this with me. Say L-I-F-E, life. This word is so important for us. As a matter of fact, let me just show you why it's so important. Keep your finger in 1 John 5 and turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 17, we have God here speaking. I'll look at 16. The Lord commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. You remember this, I'm sure. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will die. So it's very simple, but death is the absence of life. Everybody agrees? Okay, so Jesus, God Almighty, is actually explaining what will happen if you disobey me. And he's saying you'll lose life. Okay? Is, do we all agree on this? That this is what happened when Adam transgressed, death came in, life came out. So you say, but Eric, they continued living. Well, then that means we're talking about a different kind of life than that which keeps your body alive. It's a different kind of life. It's a life that the animals don't possess. Animals are alive. I have crazy dogs, and they have personalities, and they're alive, running around. But they don't possess this life that Adam lost in the garden. So, so from here, turn over to 1 Corinthians. Keep your finger, though, in 1 John. Go over to 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. Look at verse 45. We'll start in, uh, we'll start in 44. Uh, 45, okay. So also it is written, the first man, Adam. Didn't we just read about the first man, Adam? And what he did and what happened because of what he did. What did he do? He disobeyed. What happened? Life left. So the first man, Adam, became a living soul. Look at this. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus is the last Adam. Say this with me. Say, Jesus is the last Adam. He, he is actually the Adam to correct Adam. He's the Adam to eclipse Adam. He's the Adam that fulfills 
all things that Adam himself could not. So Jesus comes as the perfect Adam. Are you following me? And do you see what it says there about him? He's a life-giving spirit. So what did Adam lose in the garden? Life. What did the second or last Adam come to give? Life. So he's bringing life back to us. Now turn over to 1 John 5, 12, where we were. It says here, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I told you, I want to talk to you about L-I-F-E. Talk to you about life. Because life is important. As a matter of fact, it's the most important because without it, we are dead. The scripture tells us in Ephesians, says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. In other words, that death that came in through Adam is at work in every one of us. But through Jesus Christ and what he has done perfectly fulfilling the law and perfectly offering himself as substitute, he then becomes life for us to give to us what we have lost. Are you following me? So turn over to John 10. I want to show you uh, another instance in which we realize what Jesus is for us. You know, if I asked you right now, why did Jesus came? Most people would say to take away the sin of the world, right? That is absolutely true. We love that. He has removed our sins from us. But it isn't that Jesus came just to take away our sins. That's part of it, and we love that. How many of you love the fact that none of your sins are counted against you? Anybody? This is a reason for daily joy. Okay, you may have lots of things going wrong in your life, but if you just think for a minute about the fact that the weight of your sins and the penalty of your sins and the power of your sins are gone because of what Jesus Christ has done, that in and of itself is happiness because God has freed you and given you a standing that you didn't earn. You stand before God as Christ because Christ stood before God as you. You have a great need for Christ, but you have a great Christ for your need. John 10, verse 10 says this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Look at this. Jesus is talking. I came that they may have life. Are you seeing this? Jesus is telling us the reason why he came here was to give to you what Adam lost, and it is L-I-F-E. It is livingness. It is the vibrant animation, the spiritual uh, empowerment and quickening that is God himself. Adam lost this. Jesus gives it back. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son has not life. There is only one way to life, and it is Jesus. Look at John 14, verse 6. Look at this. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is trying to reiterate something to you and to me, and it is this, that without me, you have no life. Let's, let's actually look at John 6. You can see him say it directly. Turn over to John 6. And you will see. Look at verse 53. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
You have no life in yourselves. Jesus is speaking to us about life, meaning without it, we are dead. All depression, all fear, all sickness, all of these sins and lusts and cravings and greed and competition, all of these things are death in their preliminary form. Jesus has come to give life, to eradicate and destroy all of these things in your life. This is called life abundantly. Abundant life is when Christ is life supply and destroys and pushes out. Little by little, he just takes ground inside of your being. And he, by life, is pushing out death in its preliminary forms. In your mind, in your heart, in your body, he's pushing it all out. Taking ground little by little in your heart. This is so important for us. You know, when I was young, my mom took me to the grocery store and she said to me, Eric, go get a grapefruit. And I, and I looked at her and I said, Mom, I don't, I don't know what a grapefruit is. Uh, the name itself is deceiving. It must be really small. And so she takes me over and she points to the grapefruit and she goes, Eric, this is a grapefruit. Now, I have moved from not knowing what a grapefruit is to being able to identify a grapefruit. But I had still not yet cracked one open and eaten or received its contents and received its nourishment. I had not yet experienced it by taste, nor lived by its life supply. Most Christians hear the gospel and they move from not being able to identify Christ to being able to identify Christ. But they still have not yet cracked him open tasted him and received him as life supply on the inside. This is so important for us because some people, they live their whole lives in the realm of identifying Jesus instead of eating him. Jesus goes on here and he says this, he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has a life. I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my body is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. <laughs> and I in him, as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me will live because of me. My goodness, this is incredible. I once asked a theologian, good friend of mine that understands Greek text. He is a his PhD in New Testament theology. And I said, what does Jesus mean when he says, you know, he who eats me will live because of me? Like, what does it mean? He says, well, the, the actual way that the phrase is put together, it should read the eating one. It's a perpetual, it's a, it's a perpetual receiving. Even as you live by eating, you live by receiving Christ his word coming in, his word coming in, and life spreading throughout your being, pushing out death in its preliminary forms in your character. You know, lack of patience is death in its preliminary form. Jesus comes in to push all that out and give you his life supply. This is, to me, this is so important. 
But I find that a lot of times men set themselves against the experience of God because they're more loyal to their idea of God than the person of God. I can tell you all about my wife, but until you meet her, you'll never know her. I could show you a picture of her, and you could know facts about her. She has blonde hair. Her nails are painted red. You can know facts about her. But you don't know her until you experience her. Right? Look at John 17. John 17 verse 3 says this. This is life. This is eternal life. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ. Are you seeing this? So now we have put together life. L-I-F-E is now put together with knowing or experiencing God. You see, people used to tell me when I first got saved, I got so rocked when I got first got saved. And I entered into a life of desiring and craving experiencing the person of God through the word of God and through worship and through prayer. I became addicted to the way it feels when I give all my attention to Jesus. I would lock myself away in my room and my parents would bring food to my door because I wouldn't come out. I had no desire to do anything else. My basketball, which was my life before Christ, became flat in the garage. Not because it was wrong, it's because I had complete, all other interests had withered away. I had tasted and seen that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is life. <laughs> I say that to say this exchange with him is the receiving of life again and again and again. And I, I grew up knowing about God, but I did not know God. It's because there was no life. How many of you know that if there's no fruit on the branch, there's no life in the tree? Fruit only comes from life. Um, you've never seen a tree trying to bear forth fruit. It's the effortless result of life on the inside. And, and so sometimes we have people trying to work on their patience or work on their love. and They're, they're literally trying to fabricate something that only life can produce. And so it's very similar to somebody making a, a, a plastic apple and presenting it while real apples bore, they bear forth from life on the tree. What I'm trying to say is that Watchman Nee said this. He said, if Christ is not life, then you better do the work. He says, but if Christ is life, then you need not struggle. What I'm trying to tell you is that Christianity... And remind those of you that know this, I'm trying to remind you so it would be fresh in your heart. And those of you that don't know it, I pray you hear the gospel today. And the gospel is a gospel of life, that Jesus Christ is life. And that's this, when you receive him as life and live a life of receiving him as life, eating one, eating him, receiving him, daily fellowship, receiving him as animation and life supply inside of your being. When you have this, you accomplish more on accident than you ever did on purpose. Because it's life working on the inside. Life. Life. I want you to look over at John 5. Jesus is very clear that this life only comes from him. In verse 39, 
Jesus says this to the Pharisees. Now, I want you to remember what Pharisees are for a second. Pharisees are devoted. Pharisees have disciples. Pharisees memorize the scriptures. Pharisees pray. Pharisees live moral. They have all these things that they're doing. But they're missing something. And Jesus is going to tell them what it is. It says this. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me who is the life. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. So this shows, this shows us something. Religion is devotion without Christ. It's presence-less devotion. It's, ex, it's lack of experiential relationship and a dedication to principles. It's signing on the dotted line, this is what I believe, but you have no kisses in your life. Jesus says they seek, you seek life in the plain text. And he's saying, the text is trying to point you to a person. That I'm alive and that I am life for you. I say sometimes in America mainly, as we slip into being devoted to our devotions. And we're so religious about staying moral and doing the things that we're supposed to do. And putting everything in, in motion and, and staying away from certain things and then adding certain things. And all the while, this is just simply tree of knowledge and of good and evil. I can't do this anymore. I can do this now. And we have from the very beginning, God says, listen, I have something so much better for you than knowing what is right and knowing what is wrong. Knowing what you're not allowed to do and knowing what you're supposed to do. There's something so much higher than that and it's called life. But Christians, most of us in the, in, in the West, all we've done is just adopted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in our lives. Okay, I can't do that anymore because I'm a Christian. And now I'm going to start doing this because I'm a Christian. <laughs> But the reality is, is that if there isn't exchange, eating him, receiving him as life and receiving that internal, that, <laughs> that powerful inflow of God, the river of life on the inside of you. If you don't know this, you need to be born again. Yeah. Being born again means you now have new life. You say, Eric, okay, what does life look like? Let me just say this. If you come up to a corpse that's dead up here, the corpse still has eyes, but it cannot see. The corpse has ears, but it cannot hear. What's missing? Life in the ear and life in the eye. Jesus speaks echoing Isaiah, and he says, this generation has eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. He's saying they're lacking life. What he's saying is perceiving me is the essence of what life is. Can you see me with your inward eyes? Can you perceive the reality of who I am? Do you have an interactive, vibrant exchange with me? Is this what your life is? Because without this, this, this is not life trying to keep the rules. Somebody said... One time, a really powerful book I read recently, he says, some people stiff-arm God by breaking all the rules. And he says, other people stiff-arm God by keeping all the rules. 
Both of them are not faith in Jesus Christ. And both of them are equally damned. Both of them are equally without life. Jesus didn't come to make bad men into good men. He came to make dead men live. You don't need God because you're bad. You need God because you're dead. You need God because without him, you can't hear him. Without him, you can't sense him. Eric, are you saying that I should be able to perceive God? Yes, only a corpse is without feelings. To be unfeeling is to be unfruitful. Without life, there's no feeling. In life, it opens you to the realm of perceiving your God and knowing him intimately. As A.W. Tozer once wrote, the blissful center... He called God the blissful center. In other words, when you receive God on the inside, he then becomes such a life supply to you that you now live by him and you receive all that he is into you. Life looks like this. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the fruit of having life. You say, Eric, but it doesn't say life. It says it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is called the Spirit of life in Romans 8. He is that life supply. Jesus ascends to send. There's a story in the Scriptures, many of you have read it, where Jesus has died. Everybody's scattered. The tomb is, is now uh, empty. And Mary shows up, right? And when she gets there, she's, she's looking for the Lord. Do you remember this? And he says her name. <laughs> and she turns around and she says, Teacher, she wants to run and grab him. Wouldn't you? I just, grab, I just want to tackle him. He looks at her and he says, don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended. You know, it bothered me so much. I'm like, well, Jesus, she wants to hug you. What are you saying and saying don't cling to me? The following statement unveils why he did that. He says, because I have not yet ascended. So in order to understand why he prohibited her from grabbing a hold of him, you must look at what happened when he ascended. When he ascended, the scripture says in John 7, verse 38, Jesus stood up at the feast and he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The scripture says this, he spoke of the spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He ascended into glory. In other words, Jesus is saying, it is wonderful that you believe that I am the son of God. It's wonderful that you believe that I died. It's wonderful that you believe that I rose from the dead. But don't stop there. You need the Spirit. The gospel doesn't stop with Jesus raising from the dead. It continues on to him ascending into glory and sending the Spirit into the hearts of men. Jesus tells us that the Spirit is the essence of why he died, was to give his Spirit to us, that Spirit of life in Messiah Jesus. Paul says, Who doesn't have, whoever doesn't have the Spirit is none of his. God's desire is that the Spirit would enter you. See, in the covenant marriage relationship, a man gives his seed to woman. But this is so much higher. He didn't just give his blood. He gives 
her his spirit. There isn't anything more intimate than this. So all of this in my heart brings me to a point that I want to ask you today. Do you have life? Or are you doing what's merely doing what's right? Do you have an inflow that causes an overflow that creates an outflow? Or are you dry, dead, tired, unfeeling, unfruitful, but trying your best to do what's right and wrong? Right and not wrong. Gripping a cross and gritting your teeth and doing your best to obey black and white is not receiving the Spirit. The Spirit comes by faith. And when you receive Him, He works in and through. Is this making sense to you? And those of you that are born again and you have life, I pray the Lord reminds you of life being received day by day because He says, He who eats me abides in me. How do I abide in the Lord? Eat Him. Eat him. How do I abide in the Lord? Just drink him. Drink him in. Receive him as contents. Life supply. When you eat him as nourishment, you receive the nutrients necessary to walk out his nature. Religion demands that you walk out the nature of God, but prohibits you from receiving him as nourishment. But when you receive him as nourishment, then you're able to walk out the nature because it's his power on the inside that performs the thing. Praise God. I wonder if there's somebody here that says, I, you know, I, I want to have life. I, I do want my sins forgiven, and I do want the burden of sin taken off me, but I want to enter into Christ as life. Maybe you're here and you have received Christ in the sense of you've received forgiveness for your sins, and you know your sins are forgiven, but you just feel like you have not actually entered into a life of receiving him as life. And you say, I don't want to live this bankrupt way anymore. I want to walk in the fruit and the liveliness of the spirit. Everybody, if you could stand up, that'd be great. Praise God. just do this. I am not trying to, I'm not trying to pull teeth. I'm inviting. If you don't want this life, then you won't have it. But to have this life, all you need to do is surrender. Say, Lord, that's what I want. I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you. I'm going to tell you one last story. We'll be done, okay? Can I just tell you one story while you're standing? Real quick. My favorite evangelist was on a TV show with an atheist. And the atheist starts off the show and he goes, I don't believe there's any power in the blood of Jesus. It's been here 2,000 years and the world is worse than it's ever been before. And the evangelist says, well, can I, can I rebuttal? And he says, sure. Then he says, there is also a lot of soap in this world, but there's a lot of dirty people walking around. And he says, let me explain to you how soap works in case you don't know. He says, you will not be clean if you stand next to a piece of soap. You will not be clean if you memorize the facts about soap. 
You will not be clean if you work in a soap factory. He says, you have to reach out your hand by faith and apply it to your life. Then you will know that there's power, power, wonder-working power in the soap. And he says, I dare you to reach out your hand by faith and apply the blood of Jesus to your life. And then you will throw up your hands. You will throw up your heart and you will say, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. I'm telling you, it's not enough to sing about the blood of Jesus. It's not enough to know about the blood of Jesus. It's not enough to preach about the blood of Jesus. You got to reach out by faith and apply it to your life. Then you'll know that there's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. If you're here and you want to get right with God, you want the blood of Jesus to touch you, and you want to enter into life, I want you to raise your hand. Praise God. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Those of you that have raised your hands, there's about seven of you. If you could come right here to the front, that'd be wonderful. Just come, come, come. You want to receive life and you want the blood of Jesus to not only cleanse you from your sin, but break the power of your sin. As a matter of fact, let's just do this because I feel like sometimes people get a little nervous and they just need a nudge. Look at the person to your right and to the left and just look at them in the eyes and just simply and gently ask them, do you want to enter into life today? And if they say yes, then just bring them down here. 